Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional cinema from around the globe for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. I don't want to set the world on fire. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Yeah, we do. Heck yeah. Uh, Robin Barr, not here with us today. She is trotting across across the globe. I don't know where (laughs) she is. um, Touring Italy all over the fucking place. Like... Man, if if you haven't been getting her updates, holy shit. If you, you need to don't follow that. her on Instagram where you can see all 600 stories that she posts a day, <laughs> then uh, you should do that. Um, they're yeah, great. She has a future as a travel blogger for sure. Yeah. You know, just if, if for no other reason than the fact that she's traveling right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a future as a travel blogger because I don't go fucking anywhere. Anyway, but in the state of Robin Barr being here, we have a special guest here with us today to talk about Phil Tippett's Mad God. It's Jake Petrie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Would you like to introduce yourself to the folks at home? Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Jake Petrie. Um, You know, I'm a Ph.D. candidate at Concordia University in Montreal. Um, I research everything from streaming platforms to Twitch to just all kinds of things. Um, And I also I write about movies when I can. I'm uh, actually covering the Fantasia Festival here in Montreal just starting today. So pretty excited about that. Um, And, yeah, I'm just happy to be here to talk about such a unique film. Yes, I uh, I can. I feel like I can genuinely say that there will not be another film that we talk about that's quite like this this entire year. Yeah, totally looking forward to it. So uh, before we get into that, the usual stuff right up front. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook the Film Stage Show. You can give us a comment or rating on iTunes, and you can email us podcastfilmstage.com. And of course, you can. Become a patron of this here podcast by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as one dollar an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel and first crack at all of the cool stuff that we give away at the film stage. We are also brought to you by Movie, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Movie premieres a brand new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. And I'd really like to point out, uh, you're listening to a podcast. You must like podcasts. We like Mubi. Allow us to introduce you to the Mubi podcast. Mubi's acclaimed audio documentary series, Mubi Podcast, returns this summer for its second season. This time, the focus is on movie theaters. Titled Only in Theaters, the new season will tell surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history, and in some cases, history in general. I uh, am kind of excited. I really, really hope that at some point they talk about the theater outside of which John Dillinger was murdered. Um, Because in a time when too many cinemas are shutting down, we think it's time to lift them up. So listen to the latest season of the movie podcast wherever 
you get your podcasts. Is is the theater that uh, that Abraham Lincoln got killed in? Is is that so still around? Uh, it is. Yeah, actually, I um I didn't even realize that I walked by that theater and the house where he died because uh, they're across the street from each other. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was shot, then carried across the street, and then died in the the house there. I walked by those two places like probably legitimately 150 times before I realized that those were the places <laughs> I um, I it's, it's a Ford's theater, which still exists. And then the house across mm-hmm. the way, I can't remember the name of the, the guy who lives there, but I mean, I like literally stopped to tell a tourist directions and it was in having to stop that I realized where I was standing because I would walk by them on the way from the Metro station to a movie theater that I like to go to a lot. Um, I don't believe that the, uh, <laughs> The theater will be talked about uh, on the movie podcast because it's not a movie theater. It is a theater well, theater. But I have a movie theater that I've I've gone to a couple of times over here in the Dallas area. And that's the one where the uh, uh, why can't I think of his name? The guy that uh, killed JFK. Um, oh, oh you know. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, uh, yeah. that he hung out in Supposedly. after the assassination. Uh, yes, correct. Alleged. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he shot at least one out. of the bullets. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, exactly. what are we alleging? Are you alleging that he went to the theater? Or are you alleging that he murdered Kennedy? Listen, I've seen JFK, so I've got all kinds of questions. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, look, we all know he murdered Kennedy, but we have not proven that he went to that movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he apparently hung out at a theater. Uh, it's, it's like in... I don't know if it's enshrined, but it definitely has like a little plaque on it. <laughs> that particular seat. <laughs> it's hey, like, yeah, this is, this is, this is the seat. <laughs> uh, but uh, the other thing is I actually live uh, or I lived pretty close by to where the house of the marshal that ended up actually tracking Lee Harvey Oswald down. So nice. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of, was, lot of I, Dallas stuff not in Dallas. They're going to talk about those on the movie podcast. I'm looking <laughs> at a list of some of the things. Uh, I will say that the, fi- the, the final one they have is the cautionary tale of the Majestic Theater, the last purpose built cinema left on the island of Zanzibar. Oh, um, see, that's that's confusing because we have a Majestic Theater too. Well, so. I mean, and, and you know, Jim Carrey I, famously <laughs> helped to re- reinvigorate the Majestic Theater. In uh, Frank Darabont's The Majestic. So, I mean, like, who knows? Ah, who can even okay. But anyway, all that's available on the movie podcast, which you can find wherever great podcasts are caught. And, of course, don't forget that you get a free 30-day trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, it's mubi.com slash filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. And, um, yeah, that's that's about that. So, unless we have anything else to talk about, we can jump right into our feature review, and that is a Phil Tippett's nightmarish stop motion feature, which took him 30 years to make, and that is Mad God, which had a limited theatrical release and is currently streaming on Shudder. That's H-U-D-D-E-R. Not to, you know, plug another streaming service, but, you know, we got it, because that's where you can watch this movie. Anyway, here is the trailer. Oh, my God. 
going to do us a favor and fade out because there is no <laughs> spoken dialogue in this movie. So what is the trailer going to be like? All right. So that is a snippet of the score from the trailer for Phil Tippett's Mad God. Again, streaming on Shutter right now. And we're here to talk about it. I can't even like begin to think of a nice way to synopsize this movie. Um, I'm just going to say it's a super cool post-apocalyptic-ish nightmare scape horror adjacent uh stop motion uh, hellscape <laughs> you should That's check right. it out. um we're not gonna have a spoiler section i don't i i defy someone to figure out what spoilers for this movie would look like and what they are and you all could go straight to hell if you tell me that there is a thing that i say that spoiled quote unquote this movie for you um so we're just going to talk about it like it's a classic review so you know listen at your own discretion i guess i would also venture to say that we're probably not going to say anything too too spoilerific uh right up front so yeah here we go our roundabout nutshell thoughts on mad god by phil Tippett. we begin as always with our guest jake petrie what are your thoughts on mad god yeah i mean so in a nutshell let's see i mean I think it's one of those movies where you, it kind of like teaches you how to watch it as you're watching it. Right. Like you, you kind of just realize like, Oh, this is going to be its like own very specific thing. And you, and you figure that out pretty quick. Um, and you kind of like have to settle in, I guess, for, for the register that it's going for. Um, yeah. So for me, like, I just, I, I think you have to respect someone having such dedication to, being so gross and so grotesque and just like spending so much time and effort on making that come to fruition um yeah i mean like and as you say it is kind of like indescribable in a lot of ways and i think he phil tippett himself has been saying that like um on the press tour or whatever just like how do you sum this up but i mean you know it's pretty simple it's like like you say it's like this kind of post-apocalyptic world where um, I have to say, like, probably my favorite part is the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes where you're really, like, descending through these, like, layers of failed civilizations and everything. And it's, like, um, it just really puts you in a very specific mood, a very specific atmosphere. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just something that's going to stick with me. I saw it once in the theater and then just watched it again on Shutter the other night. Um and I think I actually liked it more the second time when, you know, once, once I was keyed into that register that I knew it was going for from the beginning, it, it, it felt like a lot easier to just be like, take in everything on it, on its face value. So it was, it was really impressive. All right. Bill Graham. Um, how to talk about this, man. <laughs> um, I, so one of our our slack members uh mentioned uh give us your money on patreon by the way uh one of our slack members mentioned that this was very reminiscent of tools like stop motion animated uh 
music videos, which uh, are done by Adam Jones. I believe they're uh, lead guitarist and um, or at least, you know, done by him insofar as he kind of comes up with a lot of the creative designs and, you know, probably has some help uh, doing them, pulling it off. But uh, if you've ever watched any of those music videos from kind of the mid 90s and stuff like that, you've probably are very aware of what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't, uh, then you have no fucking clue. And I've just rambled for the last two minutes. But, uh, that being said, I, I found this hard to parse and hard to get through, but I also found myself very frustrated because there are moments in this where we are following a character and we drop that character. And, uh, you know, as much as we've said, you know, there's there's not going to be spoilers for that. I'm in my brief snippet. I'm not going to spoil that. So just suffice it to say that, you know, we drop a couple of characters here and there. And I was like, wow. Like I was, I was starting to get a rhythm, starting to get a feel for what this thing was doing. And then it would just drop a character and I'd just be like, ah, fuck. Okay. Um, so it, it, it is frustrating in that way, but I mean, as far as the visuals, which, you know, honestly, there's not a lot of narrative. There's, I, I don't think anything more than like ooze and ahs and like gurgles, uh, like uh, made audible, um, during this, this, uh, stop motion animated, uh, feature. And so, you know, there's not a ton of story, even though it does have kind of a narrative bent, but I mean, really what you're showing up here for are the visuals. And I think the visuals definitely, is the selling point and is, you know, uh, if you want your money's ba- money back after watching this, I think you are maybe frustrated with the lack of, of narrative and the lack of, it, it wouldn't be because of the visuals. Uh, I'll say that, um, unless you're just not into these visuals, which, okay, like maybe watch a trailer <laughs> and uh, you know, two minutes will, will give you a good indication of whether you're going to be on this film's wavelength or not. Um, but yeah, I, I, I found myself simultaneously frustrated and still enjoying the experience overall. Um, certainly because you don't know what the fuck is going to happen next. Yeah, I I don't feel like I've watched this movie enough times to be able to talk about it intelligently. Um, and I, I say that as a compliment. I, I really liked this movie. Uh, people who know me know I love stop motion. Um, especially like, you know, love Leica. Leica's great. But like old school Harryhausen, you know, the like things, things like... um. The Lost World, like the original Silent Lost World, things like King Kong, um, the original King Kong, um, things like that, where you can feel the fingers on the, the thing and like it's got like a look to it that's like grungy and weird. I I love things like that. And so like the work of Jan Svenkmeyer, uh, Alice is just incredible. And so this movie is like right up my alley, like just real, real perfect for me. Um, I, I agree with everything Bill said about the, the quote unquote, like narrative and plot, how you'll be following someone and feel like you finally kind of gotten the rhythm of what's going on. And then just go with someone else. It's, you feel almost like you're being handed off 
Um, you know, you're like, all right, I'm with this guy. I guess this guy is my protagonist. Oh, nope. Okay. Nope. Now I'm with this other guy. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Curious. Oh shit. I've been handed off to someone else. I will say that like, you know, it's, it, it's not as frustrating as it might sound because you do loop back. Like I feel like as much as there, it's hard to describe what the narrative is. It's very complete and it's very centered and every everything pays off in a way um but this is i guess like a real vibe check is is what i would call it this movie is 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 a sensation that happens to you um and you got to be ready to engage with that i feel like if if you know you could get Legit, like most times I would say, like, don't ever walk out of a movie, like, don't give up, like, you know, there's something, but like, if you don't like this movie in the first 20 to 30 minutes, I feel like you might be justified in, in jumping ship. It's absolutely, it's, I'd, it, I'd agree with that. It yeah. is so purely what it is, and it's gonna stay that way for the whole thing. And so, like, yeah, I, you know, you give it a try, and if it doesn't for you, I'm not gonna, you know, spite you. It's not like Manchester by the Sea, where I'm like, you didn't watch the whole fucking thing. No, I, if a friend came up to me and was like, hey, man, heard you talk a lot of great stuff about Mad God, uh, watched it, got 20 minutes in, turned it off. I called the psych ward to come and pick you up. I'd be like, yeah, no, fair. I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Um, and, yeah, I just I had a great time with this movie. This was great, uh, though. I will say that I'm I'm one of those people. I don't like things that aren't human having human teeth. And this movie's got a lot of that. <laughs> I think I think like um, what you're both saying is so true, and and is like if nothing else, I think it tells us that this is like probably one of the purest like whatever you want to call it, auteur efforts like in modern cinema. I would say like it it is literally just kind of like one man's id laid out for us in its like disgusting power. Uh, and like for better or worse, right? Like, you know, like you're saying, it's going to be either for you or not. Um, and if it's for you, like this, this, it looks like yours, then you're going to be super keyed into it. And yeah, if absolutely. not, then it might be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. There's the, again, this, the, so Phil Tippett is, is like a, a master of special effects work. If you haven't yet, uh, go and YouTube the stop motion work he did uh, for Jurassic Park before they went, you know, full CGI and and everything. It is incredible. It's spectacular. It's great. And he, you know, helped to invent Go Motion, which they used for like the the Hoth scene in in uh, the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, like he's great. Uh, and and the fact that he spent 30 years making this i mean when you think about the corporate art form that is cinema and the way it usually gets done you know where you board out like 3 months of shooting and 6 months of post production and you know it, it all happens at once and you know you like it, it and you even schedule the days for the reshoots and everything like to, to consider that someone spent 30 years chipping away at this one idea, like, I don't know, I've, I've barely been alive for 30 years. Like, <laughs> I just can't imagine that at all. 
it's it's such a it's such a strange intense thing for me to consider like like what like like what holds you on to that and then what's even crazier is what holds you on to that and what it is is this like you look at this and you're like this is the thing that this man devoted uh, nearly brian rowan's entire life to creating like that's uh bananas like what is the 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 id what is the the thing that was in this that he had to purge but it feels like it could only be this movie well i i I do want to because the timeline around this film or kind of the the aura around this film sounds like he was making this for 30 years it sounds like he he was working on this for like a, a couple of weekends Right. And I then mean, stopped like, after Jurassic Park and then like 20 years later started to work back right. on it's, it. So it's not like he was working 40 hour weeks, 50 weeks a yeah. year for 30 years. But I mean, like, no. that almost makes it honestly crazier to me. Like, to like, well, I'm just thinking, like, I have short stories and like half finished novels from when I was like 18. Right. And so now that I'm sure. 35, like, what would it be like if I picked one of those up and was just like, yeah, I'm going to keep working on this. Like, that's. Well, That's I mean, tomorrow. you can in in this way though, you can scrap like all you got to do as a writer is just go delete, delete, delete. Well, yeah, and that's that's, other- and that's done. Yeah. Right. So but th- that's the biggest question is, did any of his original stuff make it into the finished film? And, you know, I know we did an interview with him. I know some other people have obviously done some interviews with him. Uh, it seems like he's been kind of doing some press tours and stuff like that, talking about it. And that's where this kind of narrative of like, you know, it nearly drove him crazy is kind of coming around but you know it is interesting i would say it legitimately i don't know if it drove him crazy but it definitely i listened to didn't um, didn't he say like he went to a psych ward yeah you are correct jake i listened today to the wtf interview he did with mark maron of course Um, which is probably like four hours long no it's actually one of his shorter ones um wow it's only like an hour and a half um well yeah Okay, I, but, uh, I get that. But they talk about it. And I think that, like, so he is, uh, he, he went to, he did go to a psych ward and talk to a doctor. And it turns out that he is unipolar, which is, um, he only has the manic stage. He doesn't have the depressive stage. Um, mm. And so I, I don't know that the movie didn't give that to him, but I think it might have revealed that in him, if that mm-hmm. makes any, if that makes more sense. Um, it's like, you know, the, the demon alcoholism doesn't come from the bottle. It comes from your blood, but it's definitely revealed through the bottle, you know? Mm. That's a bad thing for me as a distiller to talk about. Anyway, come buy my whiskey. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What this movie reminds me of is, um, the thief and the cobbler. Are you all familiar with the thief and the cobbler? I I have not seen it. Don't know that much. I I think I've heard about it, but not. No. Yeah. Yeah. So the thief and the cobbler is a, a like independently produced. First of all, this is so complicated to talk about and I'm going to do it poorly. So the thief and the cobbler, it's, it's an independently produced animated film that was made by um, Richard Williams. And 
his whole thing was like, yeah, if when you animate, you animate on the ones or the twos. So like, and obviously some places probably do the fours. But what that means is you got 24 frames in a second. And so most times you will animate on twos, which means that you'll do a frame and it will be two frames of your 24 frames. So then you're only animating 12 cells a second instead of 24. You've cut your work in half. It's a cost-effective maneuver. It doesn't really change the look too terribly much. Mm-hmm. Or so you would think until you watch something that's animated on the ones and you're like, whoa, this looks legitimately weird to me. And so this guy was, I'm pretty positive and I could look this up and I probably will. Um, he is the guy who helped to make uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Did a lot of the okay. animation for that. Um, and because they had to, because uh, that movie was shot on film. And so they needed to animate to make the characters appear as though they lived in uh, the real world, which is why like the opening scene of Roger Rabbit, when they've got like Roger uh, trying to save the baby from all the calamities happening in the kitchen looks so weird to a person who's raised on like Looney Tunes because it's animated on ones. So it's smoother. It's a little more realistic. And also the guy's just a genius. But anyway, so he wanted to make the thief and the cobbler independently produced it, spent like so long trying to make it, and uh, eventually, I think it got like taken from him by Harvey Weinstein and was released in a poor, like poorly done, redubbed, weirdly cut version. Um, and it it was ripped off eh, in a completely non-legal sense by Aladdin. Um, and people have attempted to recut The Thief and the Cobbler to more match what his original vision had probably been. But I don't know if it's ever going to get happen. But that's another thing where it's like, Someone who is working in a medium that is time intensive and work intensive and care intensive that has kind of been usurped by computer revolution spent like an inordinate amount of time trying to do this, this thing the way he wanted to do it as like a means of exerting some control on an industry that was changing rapidly. Sure. Yeah. I can see, I can, I can see why like, like you are he he grew up in the age of of star wars like like helping create those visual effects which like people still laud to these days to this day and i can imagine like dedicating your entire life and kind of you know i I don't want to speak for him so i'm not going to i'm not going to buy you know give him his biography for him um but i imagine that he spent a lot of time working and crafting that kind of skill set and for the industry to take a right turn you know right in front of you i'm sure would kind of be like holy fuck like, what am I going to do now? You know, like I thought I was on top of the world. And then now I see this, you know, and it, the famous example of from Jurassic World is is the T-Rex running. They just couldn't get it right in the in like the actual animated form or in the in the uh the actual like creature like it just didn't look right and so yeah they had to kind of blend the two and as soon as you see like 
you know, <laughs> all you got to know is just like look at Jurassic World and look at the uh, the computer uh, effects in the film, like when she's like hacking the system and you just know like what those systems were capable of back then. And you're like, oh, fuck. And like, look at your iPhone now and just know that like that's got, you know, probably five thousand percent you know the capacity and and ability of like their top-end computers back then like you know so yeah i'm sure you're just like oh this is just gonna get worse and worse and worse so i guess i'm done you know i imagine that there was there was a big kind of revelation there yeah if if i could just jump in like this is um but something I wanted to talk about is like the, just the, you know, this was funded by Kickstarter, right? Like that's why mm-hmm. this was able to be made. And and so, you know, to that point that you guys are making, like about someone kind of being left behind, like it does feel like, you know, th- this was someone who worked on Jurassic Park, Star Wars, RoboCop, like, you know, top of the industry and then you know with cgi it's like it's a it's a simple narrative to put it this way but with cgi that stuff starts to be pushed out and he you know starts to have to do something a little bit different so this feels to me um you know he has to turn to kickstarter to fund it himself no one in the industry wants to do it anymore like mm-hmm. they're not giving him the money to to do this and also it doesn't even once it happens and it proves itself, um, you know, with the, with the Kickstarter and everything else, it still needs to go straight to streaming on shutter. And it, and it, you know, it gets this like small theatrical showing that it's having um, or has been having, which is great, but it, it does this kind of speak to, there, there is a feeling of like end of an era to, to this movie. Right. And I think, I think it's very self-aware about that. And it's, it's very much about like the, I, you know, you could even tie it in thematically, like like all of these civilizations, right, have come to an end. Like they're all yeah. failures. They're all just like tinkering on, like you know, for for no apparent reason. Like just just doing what they're doing because they've always done it, even though it all seems like it's in ruins. Uh, and that you know, I think that you could say it's kind of like how he might feel in this industry at this point. And you know, he's still tinkering, doing his thing, but you know, it's not it's not what's what's in demand which is a shame and it's something that we've talked about on this podcast whenever like Leica makes a movie you know and generally i think that like the missing link wasn't like great but it was still a very good movie but like they just they just don't pull in the numbers that like disney and pixar do and it it's kind of people become a lot more brand focused and honestly, I think that um, things like the minions and stuff almost get a bump because at this point, computer generated imagery is so samey to 90% of the population that they look at that and they think like, oh, it's Disney or Pixar. And people, I, I had to explain to my parents for like the 28th time, the difference between Disney and Pixar, because like they were watching <laughs> like Frozen with the kids at the beach and they said like, oh yeah, what was the, what's the book? Like, this is pretty good. What's the most recent stuff Pixar's done? And I'm like, well, first of all, why are you talking about Pixar? This is a Disney film. And then mm-hmm. I remember why I just am constantly surprised they ever invite me anywhere. 
Um, <laughs> but like stop motion is so different. It's it, that people just are like, oh, it's like quaint. It doesn't feel like you're getting any th- any bang for your buck. It's the same problem with you know certain large franchises breaking in all the money while new stuff can't break through. It's just because like people are comfortable with the things that they like. They don't really want any more or new or different. And it's um it's really sad in that way that like for whatever reason stop motion just can't find a purchase, which is also crazy because I follow Leica on TikTok <laughs> and like every time they post something, people are going fucking nuts for it. Like people love Coraline. Coraline has like this crazy massive cosplay following. Like clearly mm-hmm. these things find their audience. I just don't know when or where or how and why it doesn't translate into greater success. So like as as much as it sucks, like this does in fact feel in in the same way that every Leica film has the potential to feel like, oh, this could be it. Like this might be the great and glorious final bow of this entire art form. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's it, it 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 does suffuse this particular narrative with a kind of brutal melancholy that um that makes a lot of sense when you're watching this movie. And this movie is already pretty brutally melancholic and just plain brutal in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I have a question. So the Leica TikTok, um, do they, is it all like kind of behind the scenes? Like they, they show like how a scene comes together. Like what, what do they share? A lot of it is behind the scenes. Um, I saw one today that was from box trolls and I love box trolls. Um, it and Paranorman, I think jockey for the, the title of my favorite Leica movie. Um, but so what it was was they cut the screen into thirds. And so top third was storyboard. Um, middle third was uh, what they call stage. So it's basically showing you everything as it was photographed in camera. You know, so like mm. – and then the the final one is, you know, finished footage. So it's cool because you get to see how they sketched it out. And then what they actually animated by hand in that shot. And then – the final one is when they composite everything in, which I go back and forth on because there's a part of me that's like, oh, there's a lot of green screen. Uh, I kind of wish that they had like a whole set. Uh, um, but, but I couldn't draw a stick figure straight, but I'm like wishing these people <laughs> would do a fuck ton more work. But what is even more interesting is then you're like, oh, well, they're animating different things in different places and compositing them in. And also, if I'd never seen that shot, I wouldn't know that it wasn't that way so that just makes their art artistry even more impressive in all honesty that their their backgrounds and everything are not like some second tier thought that they've had like clearly they've put a lot of work into making sure that every aspect is so unified in aesthetics that like it it all it all plays together mm-hmm. but yeah so i you know if you're on tiktok follow Leica. <laughs> they're they're great <laughs> Well, it, 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 I ask, I guess, mostly because it's it's an interesting way maybe to think about like what you were saying about um, you know why why maybe these it always feels like this is the end for stop motion or something where like it, it does kind of always seem like to some extent stop motion in particular is in some ways about the effort that went into making it right in a way that a lot of other genres or, or other forms of animation aren't that way. Uh, 
so like this this movie i guess you could say is like it kind of feels like the ultimate example of that right where it's like it you know the whole narrative is like how long it took to make like how how intricate and and how detailed it is and this one man's vision and like to some extent, you know, it does become distracting when you're watching because you're just always thinking like, well, how long did this shot take? Like, how long did it take for, for like this, this like literal shit to come out of this like big bald monster to be like, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're like, I found myself thinking like every little joke, every little thing, like how long did this take? Uh, well, like and, you're you know, going crazy with like you're going crazy for him. Yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah. Where do you get those teeth? Those teeth like really lifelike and then every other creature you're just like man did he like did they put like individual hairs in there it is yeah. it's distracting in a great way it's distracting in yeah, the way yeah. that like it, a great magic trick is it's yeah it's asking you to be impressed and and it lives up to it right like that's that's the the thing if it didn't live up to it if it wasn't as impressive as it like wants it to be then it would be more distracting it'd be more annoying um but I do wonder if that could play a role in like why it's harder because like it's asking you to pay more attention to the construction of the thing versus a more like traditional animation or something like that, where like you don't really think about that as much. You just take in the story or whatever. Whereas when you watch a movie like this, like you're almost forced to be paying attention to what's going on and also how it was made. I don't know if that makes sense. This, this goes back to, I, I, I can't remember what film in particular it was, but there, there, was a film i think i think it might have been incredibles too where there's like the the light strobe uh sequence action sequence that happens and i think during that there's like a sequence where a lot of it is like out of out of focus and i was like hold on so you're telling me that animators animated this and then you chose to like basically take the, the Did you in, put like in a blur filter computer, on yeah <laughs> uh, uh, like like a like a a a in cam or in computer like y- you know uh camera and chose to tell it to be blurry during the sequence and i was like did you tell the animators that before or after they animated that like you know it's like the fuck what like i spent 90 hours on that what do you mean it's it's a blurry sequence now it's like yeah we chose to make it blurry it's like okay cool man no one's gonna see that then awesome you know it's one of those things where you're just like what um so yeah there there are certain aspects of that and i think i I certainly think watching this we are a little bit more of you know brian you you talking about like uh your parents and and you know kind of telling them like well first of all it's it's you know not not pixar it's disney and then it's like okay but you know during that time also uh the head of disney animation studios was also the head of pixar and he very much in implanted the same ideas of like you know the 
the constant revision let's constantly revise the story let's constantly pitch it and make it perfect before we start going into animation right that's that's a the pixar process um and so it's funny because you know it's one of those things where you really have to be in it to really even understand i can imagine a lot of people just showing up at this and then going what you know this guy sunk like 10 hours into this this thing sucks and it's just like oh no 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 (laughs) this is not 10 hours of work sir you know um you know it's it's one of those things where i think the further into how much knowledge you have of this the more appreciative you have but i don't think that should be or necessarily means that is the selling point right like yes it it certainly audience it is i mean like correct right if like honestly like when i think like think back to like the opening of the lion king the original animated lion king it's really depressing how many movies i'm bringing up and then i have to say the original um like there's that scene where the 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 animals are walking and the ants are on the the, the tree limb and then like it mm-hmm. rack focuses like that's yep. exactly what you're talking about. Like as a child, I didn't give a fuck about that, but you point that out to me now, and I'm like, yes, into my goddamn veins with that shit. I want it. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Like and like yeah, the, I, I think Pinocchio. I watched Pinocchio with my daughter the other day, and they do like a a, a helicopter crane shot in that animated movie. And I, they mm-hmm. must've had like seven panes of glass that were like eight feet long that they were moving and then removing so that the thing, it goes through an arch at some point, it goes through the entire town past like a bell tower through an arch and then lands on Geppetto's front porch. And I'm just like, Holy fuck. That must've taken so much time. And you know, it's just a cool shot and a nice way to like ground the world. Um, but to my brain now with all that I know, it's just another deeper level of, and it's like when I listen to music with friends who know music and they're like, ah, yes, the chromatic scale. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 yeah. that is, you know, when someone yeah. pointed out that, um, I think it's Dunkirk, like the, uh, the score to Dunkirk makes use of some sort of like aural phenomena where if you have like a rising scale, and then overlap it with the same scale at a certain point, it'll constantly feel like it's always going up, but never actually like raising in pitch. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Oh, that's why I had a panic attack in that movie. Oh, all right, cool. I didn't need to know that to have the panic attack, but it's cool to know about now. I I think there's a, there's a famous like Jimi Hendrix, like, you know, kind of behind the scenes thing where, uh, usually when you are in a good, playing a guitar when you like kind of uh pull the chords you're gonna pull them down and he decided to pull them up and it made a different sound and people were like what the fuck and it's like yeah i just went the opposite direction man (laughs) it's just like okay but you know that's not how you're taught you know and it's like that's not what everybody else does man that's crazy so you know it's it's one of those things where yeah there's there's so much of that where you just see these people kind of breaking the systems or just kind of tweaking the systems and then yeah i I remember asking a, a friend was a drummer a really really good drummer and i had seen him perform a couple of times and i was like hold on so do you have like sheet music and he was like, yeah, 
there's there's drummer sheet music and i was like what the fuck what do, what is that <laughs> like like i don't i don't understand like what do, what do you mean you have sheet music and he's like yeah they they've like sheeted all the different like aspects of the drums so that you can just kind of read a sheet and and drum along with it and i was like you're breaking my brain i don't understand how that's even possible you know it's just like okay so <laughs> but yeah um this this isn't my show but this seems like a good place where i can segue into talking about this movie's sound Absolutely. and score yeah uh because this is something actually where I don't think I've seen many people talk about this part of the movie, but I think the score and the sound design together, like really make it work in a way that it probably wouldn't otherwise, where it, I feel like they, they both, the, I really like the score. First of all, it's kind of this like pretty melodic, like, um, I don't know, like, it, it, it gets you into the mood really well, but I think both of them, the sound design and the score, like kind of like, emphasize this like growing and descending chaos and madness that's going on um with this kind of like solemn atmosphere at the same time if that makes sense like i feel like the the music kind of like grounds us in this in this melody um you know no matter how like squelchy or screechy everything else in the sound design is and i don't know i just i feel like that uh balance that it does between those two things like really glued me in yeah, the, the music I I found to be it it would drop out and then and then kind of make its presence known again. Um, and I found it it was kind of always just kind of lurking behind the you know underneath the surface a little bit to kind of throw a Jaws metaphor in there. Um, and you know apparently at Shark Week, um, is but it? Yeah, oh, man. It, I used to know Shark yeah. Week, but then they started oh, yeah. making Shark Week. The last couple times I've tried to watch has been terrible. Yeah, they they've gone a little bit too into the megalodon situation. Yeah, they like, like had made, that weird documentary about mermaids. They like really yeah. leaned into the attacks too. Like, just give me give me the sharks, man. Give me give yeah. Me I just I just want to see cool cool ass shark footage. Uh, but anyways, yeah, yeah. I, I think the music is is really interesting. But I mean, yeah, definitely the visual effects. Like if it, even if you don't have a lot of appreciation of the actual uh, visuals here, I think the uh, did I say visual effects? Uh, it, even if you don't have a lot of appreciation of the visuals here, I think the sound effects and the sound design are so yeah. fascinating. I mean, and of course, you know, I'm sure he worked a little bit with ILM, but it does make you wonder like how much you know the the sound design and and this is definitely kind of like the foley stuff and you know uh, well i say that Wailing uh babies I, and the squelching well, I, I think, and I, think I think foley a uh, foley just r like literally means like you creating uh the the noises which of course you know, since this is not a real thing, of course. Right, it's stop motion. To, so, I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine what trying to capture live sound for a stop motion film would be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, these creatures aren't making noises. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that's that's really interesting because everything had to be created and everything had to be kind of designed. Um, and I think the... You know, just like sitting back every now and then while while watching this movie, um, I would just kind of close my eyes just a little bit and just 
kind of, you know, sink into the the atmosphere. And it was really interesting. So um, especially since so much of this is is kind of I, I don't know that much about Dante's Inferno, so I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, mention that too much here but it, it definitely feels like just going seven layers deep um and you're just constantly finding new new worlds new new things and uh i i had a moment here uh during this film when uh i had to look up the uh what are they called the bird priests i had i had to look this up on my phone um it, they were the pandemic uh priests oh, i think doctors. is what they're like plague the, doctors right, right. yes yes i had to look that up because i was like i've seen this visual before and i don't know where i've seen it before um and I, to be honest with you i might have just seen it at like a a uh, party city during halloween like it, that's definitely a costume that I can imagine being sold. Um, but it was so interesting, like watching this version of it, this variant of it and seeing how it was animated, seeing it like go down the stairwell at one point, And then you realize like you're waiting for the feet and then you realize there are no feet and you're like, Oh shit. How did they animate this? <laughs> you know, um, it must be, you know, stuck on toothpicks on the other side or something. But, you know, it's it's one of those really visually arresting things um, that makes you kind of wonder, you know, all the little little pieces that are kind of falling off or uh, all over it. It's got I think it's got a bunch of different like. uh, uh what is it crosses and things like that kind of hanging off of it doesn't it it's it's probably got some some kind of religious aspects to it that i'm not quite being able to uh key in on yeah that's that's another that's an aspect of it to me too you know starting with leviticus and all that kind of stuff like I, I do not really have much of a relationship with religion, so all that stuff. Well, is like good, really we got Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so I do want to just say, a movie starts with a Bible passage. It's either going to be fantastic or terrible. All right, <laughs> well, the new okay. world. The new world is fantastic. Starts with the Bible passage. You start with a passage from Leviticus, though, and it sets a certain expectation. One which I will say, this movie really lands on like if there's anything it begins with the tower of babel sequence pretty much you know they got the Mm -hmm. giant tower you got the people being just destroyed and then you get leviticus where he's talking about like you know i'm gonna murder your sons and your daughters and everything's gonna suck for you and it would turn your land to desolation your crops are gonna fail go fuck yourself and it's just like is 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 that like the actual text from leviticus Man, the Bible's got some real hardcore shit in it, Bill. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, you know, certain sections of the Bible have been not deleted, but like, you know, aren't in the King James I'm version sure that and Leviticus stuff like that. Is still in there. And almost any time, here's the thing I'm a Catholic, love the Bible, love Jesus, blah, blah, blah. If someone comes at you and says, according to Leviticus, you have 10 seconds to get away from them. They are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to really be scared. 
Because, yeah, that the, the the text that I was reading on that was just like at, at a certain point, it, I think it says that the enemies that take over your lands will be so depressed by the lands that they have now inherited that they will just like <laughs> give it up. And yeah. you're just like, holy crap. I know. Like even <laughs> even the people that like conquer you are going to be like, oh, fuck this place. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's wild shit. I it, I did wonder though, like so, it sometimes during this I do I did feel like there wasn't as much there there as as I maybe was expecting. Um, but so like, does it kind of follow like Leviticus in some kind of narrative sense? Oh, Brian? I have no like, idea. Is there? No. Oh, okay. That's- yeah, I wish I could say like, oh, well, if you, you know, a biblical scholar would be great to know that. Um, <laughs> I follow a couple of biblical scholars on TikTok, actually. Um, <laughs> you and TikTok, Frank. I'm getting a real sense of your TikTok feed. Yeah, my, my TikTok for you page is super fucking weird. Um, <laughs> I follow this one woman who just makes watercolor paints. It's nice. real calming. Um but anyway, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, the thing is, in fact, what I was going to say, first of all, to, to bolster my Leviticus statement, is that if you watch The New World, um, when John Smith comes back from his time with the Naturals and uh, Ratcliffe is like, hey, we're going to murder you because we charged you in your absence. He says you were tried under a like passage of Leviticus. So again, just uh, just to let you know, anyone who comes at you and starts talking about Leviticus, probably not your friend. Um, it'd be great to be able to say if this was like totally biblically accurate. I mean, maybe uh, it's uh, there's a lot of shit in here, and it's definitely got a Hieronymus Botch style feel to it. You know, mm. there's just I also would go on to say that like even for people who aren't religious, like. One of the reasons that like the 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 religions that we have now have persisted as long as they have is because they do speak to something like essential in our nature. And I there is a there is a reason why this movie feels in a way like biblically apop- apocalyptic. You know, why for all of its strangeness, it has a kind of nature of the profane and the divine and the the evil to it you know and i think it's just because like a lot of this stuff comes from our subconscious and comes from the deeper fears that we have and whether those things are just instilled by nature or by some kind of creator or both or maybe the creator is nature or whatever the fuck you want to call it there's something to it like this movie i i don't think that this movie would have struck me quite as much as it did if it didn't feel like it had some truly dark aspect to it like an effect that was just beyond the weird and into into like the moral and spiritual yeah i guess um maybe in that context like what what did you sorry to keep grilling you on this but i'm interested in in the in the perspective like what did you make of the last man character like the alex cox and you know like trying to play god essentially uh like remake the world in some way it's not entirely clear but i you know like destroy to create or or something to that end i mean what so (laughs) 
I'm going to bring up another movie that has a storied history on this podcast. It it almost gave me mother vibes at certain points. Um, the mm, way that mm-hmm. these people seem to be made to be sacrificed. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, like these, these assassin characters with their gas masks and everything. First of all, instantly iconic design. Um, mm-hmm. but they, they come with these, these suitcases to destroy this place and they seemingly fail all the time. But then this, yeah, we, we, we see a visual of several suitcases throughout a bunch like of suitcases e- yeah. all over the place. And then in addition to that, I have to assume that all the people in that weird surgery, you know, grid. Oh see, Yeah. Are oh, probably yeah. also these guys because they seem to know what they're looking for when they cut him the fuck open and rip out the baby from Eraserhead's, you know, older stepbrother. Um, <laughs> the Cenobite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, something that has human teeth that I feel like shouldn't have human teeth. Um, <laughs> and then they take it and they take it to the plague doctor and then the plague doctor knows where to take it. He takes it to, you know, crush it and juice it and then then give it to the 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 alchemist to turn into an ingot that he can throw into another dimension to possibly create a new world that will also be destroyed by people uh-huh. with gas masks and suitcase bombs like it's you know i don't know <laughs> i don't even remember what i was <laughs> talking about um related to mother which also you know has very heavy biblical judeo christian whatever's to it I mean, there is something to that, to that concept of like, just the way that like nothing lasts, everything's going to die, everything's going to get destroyed. But like the good part of that is that like destruction is the first act of creation, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and I think that the thing that keeps this from just feeling like a gruesome, deranged exercise in nihilism is that sense of all of this chaos when it finally gets to a high enough level, even if the, the, it doesn't justify the cruelty and the madness and the weirdness, you at least see that it's moving towards something, which doesn't make any of the people who get caught and dissected and crushed and vaporized and vivisected, like, you know, feel any better about what happened to them. But like, there is a, there's a, there's a higher reasoning, you know? So yeah, in yeah. that way, I, I really dug that, you know, that, that keeps, like I said, it keeps it from just feeling like an aesthetic journey into like, you know, some deranged mind. It makes it, even if it's not readily apparent what it truly is or like what the one-to-one parallels with our real world are, it makes it feel like there's something more there. Yeah. Cause I, I think like the, the first time I saw it, I think I came away feeling very defeated and, and like it was a cynical, like nihilistic, fatalistic, like take on life. Um, but the second time I think I came away wondering if there is a bit more of this, like, you know, like the destroy to create thing where like, I, th- I think part of the reason I liked the first half hour so much, like the section with like the drone figures and everything um where it's like you know i think at least in part it's like a commentary on like industrial age capitalism you know like how laborers are like so disposable uh and it's like very funny when they're like darkly funny when they're like killed and zipped out of existence by these like blocks or whatever um 
Mm-hmm. But part of part, part of why I like that section so much is because it does like it ends with with like this moment, right? Where like he's about to take one of them with him as like a a, a buddy or something. Uh, like he has that like hesitation and then he doesn't do it. But I so watching that again and then like where it ends with like the this creation of a new thing, it almost feels or I'm I'm inclined or I want to feel like maybe in the next time he'll he'll bring the buddy with them or, or just something you know what i mean like something small like that small bit of hope small bit of like maybe the next time it'll be enough and it's just maybe this movie isn't so nihilistic maybe there's a way where it's like look at all these failed forms of life and maybe maybe next time we'll get it right i don't know yeah i mean with to take it back you'd asked about like the last human and like right with the fingernails um and the witches who i mean like again it's inscrutable in a way but like these people are crafting this map for some reason <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there is there is an unknowable design to what is happening and it's it's very difficult to discern and the fact that when we see that what we're only seeing is the 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 like televised thoughts of a person who just got all of his guts ripped out and a hole drilled in his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's weird. You know, why would, why, why are we doing this to these people? Like, why is that human constantly throwing these things down into the world with bombs? Like, what is he hoping to accomplish? And like, you know, in, in, in a certain way, you could say the same thing about God, you know, what well, what the I, fuck? I don't feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing right now. That's all I'll say <laughs> about that. I feel like he's uh, like, oh shit, I definitely have some pieces left over. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm very curious, like what you know. Th- this is obviously like a charge, or not a charge, but like a like a who the fuck knows kind of question. But like, wh- what are we to make of him opening up this guy's guts? And it's nothing but like change and like treasure. Right. It's, and it's like a child's conception of treasure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so strange. And it, it, yeah, it, it feels like just Mardi Gras beads are coming out of there or something like that. And it's just like, what? What is like, I'm glad that you brought yeah. this up because like, as much as I'd love to go frame by frame <laughs> and say like, well, what do we think? What do we think is the meaning of this? Uh, it would be almost yeah. impossible. It, this movie feels yeah. overloaded yeah. as fuck. This one, however, they spend so much time on, it feels more meaningful. And the answer is, I have absolutely no goddamn idea. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it, it, you know, I, it could just be like, if you really want me to talk out of my ass for like five minutes, I could. Like, you know, the fact that like, oh, you know, these these are the things that we thought had so much value, but to these people, they mean nothing. And at this point, they've, you know, basically been recycled into the body and are, you know, only good insofar as they can keep this person alive to possibly, you know, do something. But when, you know, the, the terror comes and tears you open, it's not going to care about the riches inside of you. It's going to care about the screaming fur-covered human-toothed baby. <laughs> like, it's 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 yeah like just like the metaphors for like wealth and knowledge and just throw them to the ground who cares i don't know yeah like there's something there it's a, it is the, you know 
Yeah, drafting off of that, adding it to what I just said, it could be like when the 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 evil comes to tear you open, it's not going to care about all the worldly things. It's going to it's looking to use that creature inside of you, that mm. animal self, and that's what's important to it. You know, the like we, the, we, the baby with teeth. Right, like we fill ourselves up with all these things we think are meaningful, but like when the when when the the adversary comes, it it wants the thing that you didn't even know was in you. Like this yeah. is we had a crazy ass storm here the other night. Um knocked all the power out, which is why this podcast episode is even later than it was supposed to be. Um but like as I was standing in a dark house going around and lighting candles and stuff, I like went overboard with the preparation because I like, you know, used to be if the power went out, it was time to bust out some flashlights and some candles and some Jack Daniels and just get wasted and like eat <laughs> potato chips and cookies with everyone else I lived with. But now that I'm a father. Well, well now, yeah. And, and now that you own a distillery, you know, you can, <laughs> you can bust out, you know, Jack Daniels here, sir. Yes, how yeah. about, how about some Schmidt spirits? <laughs> exactly. But so now that I'm a father, I was like, okay. All right, so I've got to put all the candles in one place so I know where they are. I got to get the matches. I got to light some candles. Then I got to look for like a lighter so I can save the matches. Also, whenever I lit a match and I extinguished it, I used um, a plant to extinguish the matches so that I would always have the matchstick so that I could reuse the matchstick even if the striker wasn't on it to light other candles. I filled up the bathtub with water. I did like Hmm. a whole bunch of crazy stuff as though I was worried the power wasn't going to come on for weeks. <laughs> sure. I, well, I set it, like look. a timer to be like, look, the stuff in the fridge is going to be okay for X amount of hours. And yep, at that if, point, if you don't, if you don't open it, you right. know, let's, let's quickly gather what we actually want out of there. So, so just, we don't have to open it and close it. I didn't even do that. I just left everything in there. I was like, that's closed. I told my daughter, don't open it. Don't open that. Mm-hmm. Don't open the freezer. And I told her, like, you know, if we if if the time comes that it doesn't seem like the power is going to come back on, we're just going to have to spend all day cooking everything in there. You know, because mm-hmm. we can't let it spoil because, oh, my God, what if society collapses? And so it was really a, a, an insight into just how re- readily I'm able to believe that society is about to collapse and I have to Cormac McCarthy style carry the fire for my daughter to keep her alive to start a better world. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think, I think that's a preoccupation. I mean, not to get political, but I think that's like a, like a real feeling like vibrating through people right now. And, uh, and I think there's also like so many movements and, and people interested in, in trying to imagine a different future. And, and a lot of that is built on the idea that you need to destroy what's already here before you can do that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like I didn't like get my guns out and assemble them <laughs> and load them, but there was definitely a point when I was like, should I at least, you know, go get my pistol in its lockbox and just put it under my bed just for tonight so that if something happens, I don't have to like stumble through the dark to go find it in its hiding place. And I was just like, nope, nope, we're not going to go that crazy. It's going to be fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, your, yeah. your mind does go there. You know, we've, we've seen the news. We've, there's been enough 
rioting and madness over the last couple of years that uh, could make anyone suddenly go like, oh, man, it's getting real fragile out there. But I think that well, what's funny yeah, is that I, it's always been fragile. Like, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we, we kind of live on a box of lies in, in a lot of ways. You know, um, well, you see uh, that. There's a, is it from, is it from Deadwood? That something like society is a lie agreed upon or like history is a lie agreed upon. Mm. Oh yeah. Society, like, I think. But yeah. yeah, like, I mean, you know, it's funny when we talk about like, like laws and you know what constitutes a life and murder and stuff because like you know fucking we just watched the northman that shit didn't used to mean shit to anyone mm. it's like there was this we've we've only cared about the lives of others for a very narrow margin of our human history it feels like you know mm, it's sure. such a it and and people will say well one of my favorite jokes from archer is when carol says that's a made-up word and the guy she says it to says they're all made up <laughs> and she like goes whoa like you know and it, it, they're making fun of cheryl or carol or whatever the fuck her name was at that point in the show um <laughs> but it's also true like when you think about it like they're all made up we're just trying to like put our concepts out there and it is easy to joke about how society's a lie but like everything's a lie like you're not being clever like we all know it but we have to have rules and ideas agreed on that we're all gonna live by or else you could capture someone on a hook and then cut them in part after you run out of your house with a giant meat cleaver and human teeth in your weird face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for showing the lie of society, Phil Tippett. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's again, just what I like about the, like part of the idea to the movie seems to be like, um, all these failed civilizations have have reached their limit and like are like barely going on um, for no clear reason. And it's you know I guess it's just this question of do you feel do you feel defeated about that or do you do you find like a strand of hope with it? I don't know. But also I will say like <laughs> I think this movie also can just be like totally enjoyed on its surface pleasures and it's like. I think oh, it yeah. is so open to these interpretations because it is so kind of vague and abstract with, with what it's trying to say. And like it, so we can, we can speculate all we want, but like at, at the end of the day, it's quite just, it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's like a gross blood drenched Rothko, you know, like you bring, you bring yourself to it and it shows yourself back to you. Um, I do want to mention something here, uh, just digging a little bit deeper, um, in terms of the sound design, apparently the sound design came from a guy named Richard Beggs, um, who also did, uh, Ghostbusters. He did, uh, what else here? Um, Prisoner of Azkaban, The Chronicles of Narnia, Children of Men. So this is definitely a guy that's like uh, won some Academy Awards. Uh, oh, Apocalypse Now uh, is what he won it for. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> no wonder the sound design is really good on this fucking thing. So I just thought I'd bring that up. Just the thinking about the music and the sounds in this movie, it's like gross. I mean, like, I feel like I've said gross a lot, but I mean it in a good way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it is. Th- there's a lot of squishy. There's yeah, to yeah. This film. It's, it's a very vi- like literally visceral film, yes. <laughs> and it's great in that way. Like I said, like they show the close up of the philosopher and this you know monster anus and these two giant shit shoveling behemoths, and just like you look at them and you're repulsed, but in a way that you can't turn away from it you just like need to take it mm-hmm. in and like you know just really really just handle it i don't even know like you need to confront it i think is what i mean you need to really make your peace with it as you're staring at it mm-hmm. it's so wild I, this movie is fantastic <laughs> i will yeah, i it's, think it's worth it's worth underlining like the the impact of all that like as you say viscera right like it it is so effective at doing that through the sounds through through like the just how like you said gross everything is like it really accumulates in a way that's like so memorable and it's like it it really like like you started the conversation like i think there's going to be nothing else like it all year i mean like it's almost like there can't be anything else like it all year yeah like a master of the form spends 30 ish (laughs) years making a thing that, you know, to be very uh, vulgar about it, drives him to the insane asylum. Um, even though he just, like, you know, voluntarily went to, to, to go to a, to a doctor for a He while. drove himself there. <laughs> Again, I think it revealed it in him. I don't think it gave it to him. Um, no, no, I, I, meant, I meant he physically drove himself. Oh, yeah, he, like, like went like, there. It, yeah. yeah. The yeah. men in white coats didn't have to, like, pick him up off the street. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they still wear white coats? Ah, uh, you know, someone looking. I that. think blue is more soothing. <laughs> That's true. No, what is it? It's uh, they did it in in Mister Glass. It's the pink, right? Like, there's that weird pink room they're in. Well, I think that may have been just for that guy, though. No, no, it's where they had like their little group therapy session. Anyway, uh, I'm almost positive I'm correct, so I'm just gonna say I'm right. There is a shade of pink that was used in Insane Asylums because it was thought to be calming. Um. Do we have any other thoughts, feelings, opinions on this movie? It's a short movie. We've almost already uh, exceeded its runtime, <laughs> which is something yeah. that we've done for much longer movies. But I mean, I, I feel like we've done a good job of talking about the craft, talking about personal opinions of it, talking about things that we really liked. I feel like I almost want to leave more unsaid about this because I, I, I feel like coming into this movie and having to bring yourself to it is is the ideal way to see it yeah i agree awesome so uh, uh, this is the last chance for anyone to say anything they'd like to say about this uh friggin weird marvel of a film okay i'm I'm good good. (laughs) (laughs) i love that we all seemingly independently agreed that like that was the right amount of time to just leave silence (laughs) Um, yes so that's mad god it is out uh, again on Shutter right now. Um, super cool. So excited. If you saw it and would like to talk about it, don't forget to email us, podcastthefilmstage.com, or tweet at us at filmstageshow. And um, don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, M-U-B-I, for a free 30-day trial subscription. And don't forget to check out the Mubi podcast, where they're going to be talking about some super cool movie theaters. So yeah, do that movie podcast. Check it out wherever your fine podcasts are found. 
And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash filmstature to give us your money. And that is all for today. Um, so uh, what are we talking about next week? Bill, do you know? Uh, I think I'm out next week. Oh, uh, God, just every, well, this fucking summer. Everyone's going places. Yeah, because it's also, you know, Thursday and it's about to be the weekend. Uh, but also, I think you're all talking about Elvis. I know so. that Elvis is happening at some Ooh. point. Oh, so. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that when Erica and I got COVID. And so we were not able to go see that, not uh, able to go see Lightyear, not able to go see a lot of things. Man, and yes, I know. Go see <laughs> <laughs> I, I am still very curious about that. So, you know, I, my, uh, but not, yeah. to, not to jump back to TikTok again, but one of my favorite <laughs> things that's been happening on TikTok is how confused people are by Lightyear and not. Oh, just, yeah. They're like, yeah. Okay. So Lightyear is a computer animated movie. But in the world of Toy Story, where those people are computer animated, but to them they're real, does that mean that Lightyear is real? Are we supposed to see it as humans? Are we supposed to see it as CGI? Is like what? Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. someone went to Disney World and apparently found the new Lightyear action figure, which you'd think would be a Buzz Lightyear action figure, but it's not the same Buzz Lightyear action figure from Toy Story. So now... No, of course not. It's like the Toy Story Buzz Lightyear action figure is the toy from the movie Toy Story. It's not a toy inspired by the movie Toy Story. It is the toy from the movie. And the Lightyear action figure is our world's incarnation of an action figure from the movie. But really, it should still be Buzz Lightyear because Buzz Lightyear in the Toy Story movie is the toy from the movie Lightyear. Anyway, yes. Disney, I don't think realized how many mirrors they were putting facing one another. Oh, I, I just think I just think everyone is thinking about it way more than the executives ever thought. Of it. <laughs> this is very true as well. Also, from what I I understand, uh, very much this might have been a original film pitch that turned into a light year because oh. they were like, oh, yeah. That's what yeah. they always what IP do. can we snuggle this into? <laughs> yes. That's what they did with like all of the Die Hard sequels. Like if uh, if you look it up, yes. I'm pretty sure each of those Die Hard sequels was a different movie. And then they're like, you know, you know specifically number three. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically number three was was I think originally pitched as Simon Says. Yeah, Simon Says. And, <laughs> And then it's like, yeah, and a Die Hard, and it's, and <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's one of my favorite films. So that is, you know, that is a good. They, they at least they took the time to make that a good Die Hard sequel. Yes, I agree. Well, I, I, I thought number two was actually pretty I good. Like uh, I, 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 I went through a Die Hard watchathon uh, with my family during Christmas because you know we come back home and it's like, what do we want to watch? I don't know. What's what, what what's available to us? How about every single one of the good Die Hard movies? So we watched like one through three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's tell the fine people where we can be found between now and the next time when we will probably maybe be talking about Elvis. So we begin with our guest, Jake Petrie. Where can people find your work and you and your thoughts and your feelings online? Yeah, I mean, I guess the best place is Twitter. So at Jake Adam Petrie, P-I-T-R-E on Twitter. And also, you know, my website's the same thing, jakeadampetrie.com. And also, you know, uh, Elvis is a great time. So I think you guys are going to have fun talking about that. Heck yeah. You, you, you don't have TikTok? 
Jake? <laughs> I, I, I do. My my only TikToks are me reviewing different flavors of Gatorade. So if that's the kind of content you're interested Ooh. in. So, Man, I went, I went through a kick where Green Apple, I don't know if that's still around or not. Oh my God. I was like a like a 13 year old or something like that. Maybe, maybe even less than that, maybe like 10, but like that was the only thing I could drink. And my dad was so frustrated because you can't, couldn't buy the bigger, but I don't know if you, if this knowledge even extends to <laughs> your expertise or not. I don't know when you started getting into Gatorade, but uh green apple used to be a flavor of way back when. And, mm-hmm. It was only available in like this little six pack bottle version. It wasn't available in like a bigger container at all because it was, you know, it, it, yeah, just think about like what Green Apple and Gatorade sounds like. And that's <laughs> that's exactly what it was. It wasn't. I don't know. Like thinking back to it, I was like, this was that was not very good. And I was obsessed with it. And I'm like, wait, why is my adult brain like having not tasted it? But just based on memory, I'm like, nah, this, this stuff wasn't very good, but I was obsessed with it for whatever reason. I will, I will say that a way to get big on TikTok is to have a super niche, weird thing that only you mm-hmm. do. And that, so like, <laughs> listen, they haven't taken off. So. <laughs> I think well, not yet. Not putting enough into it. I thought for a yeah. little while, like I'm, I'm, I'm really into apples. But like, I love certain varieties of apples. And so I legitimately thought like I should do reviews of all these different varieties of apples. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I could talk about like sugar bee, honey crisp, cosmic crisp, you know, all that. And then I was like, you know what? I'd rather just fucking eat an apple. Hey, I'd watch that shit. (laughs) I think people don't realize how many varieties of apples they are and how wildly different they are in taste and quality. Um, for anyone who's still listening right now, first of all, why? <laughs> Second of all, sugar bee apples. If you find them, buy as many as you can. You're not going to regret it. What, yeah, I don't what think do you I've think? Ever had them. What What do you think of the grapes that taste like cotton candy? I have never had one. I think that sounds disgusting. <laughs> They're out there. <laughs> the idea alone is morally repellent to me. Um, Bill, Bill Graham, where can people find your stuff online? Uh, I do not have a TikTok, although one of my friends that I used to play Call of Duty with uh, would send me nothing but Call of or yeah uh, TikTok memes uh, of Call of Duty. <laughs> uh, so I had to sign up for TikTok because I couldn't access them otherwise. Right, you, uh, you you twice look at it on your web browser and you're like, "This is fucking awful." I'm just going to get the app, and then that's how they yeah. get you. That's how they fucking mm-hmm. pull you in. A real yep. friend would download the video and send it to you that way. <laughs> that sounds real complicated. Uh, but yeah, um, that's that's definitely a thing. I'm not on TikTok. Uh, I am on Twitter at CableBFG. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I found my niche and that is not on Twitter. So I don't <laughs> tweet very much. Uh, I definitely uh, mix it up in the Slack channel much more. Um, I'm... I'm f- 
desperately behind. Uh, Random is about the only channel I'm in right now. Uh, everything else is is gone crazy. Uh, I don't understand how many of our uh, Patreon members are able to also keep up with sports as much as they do. <laughs> and God bless them for watching the the nightmare that is uh baseball outside of like october um hats off to y'all watching 160 games of something jesus christ um yeah that's but, impossible to me in all honesty yeah i i, I just they ever do it. three hours each like why like <laughs> what are we doing here um so yeah that's a that's a lifetime um and you can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram. I definitely post more on that than anything. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. As for myself, you can find me at uh, my personal site, brianjrowan.com, as well as uh, my distillery's website, schmidtspirits.com. Or if you don't know how to spell Schmidt, you can go to inkwellwhiskey.com to see my personal brand that I've started making. And, of course, uh, at Brian Geron on all the social medias. And don't forget that you can find my writing, as well as every episode of this here podcast, over at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in, and come back next time. I have but one desire. And that one is you.